0: The Global North's insatiable appetite for the latest fashion, coupled with gargantuan marketing budgets to continue to promote that kind of consumption, has contributed to massive amounts of clothing waste and pollution. The ripple effect has greatly impacted countries in the Global South. I'm Rebecca Burgess, the founder of a California-based nonprofit called Fibershed. Learn more on the Weaving Voices podcast, a Whetstone Radio collective podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow the one recipe wherever you get your podcasts. Mango, mango, mango. This is personal. Very. You are my love. Yes, I love all fruit, but oh, you. I don't even want to assign a word to this love. The deepest, realest, most sincere, perhaps an obsession, a mango serotonin dependency. Strand me on an island with one food. I always choose you. About a decade ago, I bought a flat of mangoes and every single one was perfect. Firm but juicy, flesh that seamlessly pulled away from both pit and skin, sweet orange meat dense with sweaty, floral notes. I ate them all, I don't know, seven, eight, ten mangoes, all in one day. I had no regrets. It felt right, glorious even. Because this is love, yes, everything. And the next mango I ate, my body rejected. Or did mango reject my body? Don't answer. Either way, this love hurts. I can still eat a few bites without my insides screaming, but it's a handshake when I want to spoon, a postcard when I want a ballad. A broken heart doesn't mean you're not still my favorite. Memories are what write the present tense, You are my favorite. Best fruit, mango. Ask the world, they will agree. I'm Jessamine Starr. You're listening to Fruit Love Letters. Food for me is a way to express love. I'm a chef in Atlanta, and I fold my feelings into the meals I cook for my family, my friends, even strangers. It can be hard for me to say, I love you, but you will know when I serve you roasted delicata squash with cumin and fennel seeds. But if I peel you an apple, slice you a persimmon, pick you a mulberry with my stained fingers, then we'll both know it's really serious. Fruit, of course, have long been considered symbols of love, even aphrodisiacs. On this show, I'm exploring our love of fruit and what it says about us, people. On this episode, The Mango. Mango has so many admirers, so many homes, so many stories to tell. I thought, how will I choose the threads to follow? But I knew there was one person who could help. She stuck out for her breadth of knowledge about mangoes, her look back at its origins,
1: her hand in shaping its future. Well, I'm Noris Ledesma. I am a horticulturist and have been dedicating my life to tropical fruits in general with emphasis in mangoes. I first saw Norris in a documentary
0: about people who hunt and preserve exotic fruits. I called her up because her affection for the fruit was so clear, so contagious. It turns out Norris's love of mangoes started early, when she was a little girl
1: growing up in Colombia. Well. Mango was a treat for me because there was no candies in those days in my small village. So when I was behaving, I got a mango as a prize. It was a big mango tree in my backyard. So my grandmother used to pick the fruit for sale to the doctor in the the little town. So the precious fruit was for sale. So when I was behaving, I got a mango as a prize. That's the memory that I have. Then when I was at the school, I remember when the ring sound for the break we run so quickly to get to a man that was selling green mangoes outside the school. He was wearing a big hat with golden teeth and he had these uh, little bags with green mangoes and he had the option that you can put salt on it or lemon. So I was probably six years old by then. So every time when I travel, especially to Latin America, and I see those street vendors selling green mangoes still today, I cannot resist that. And I just take me back to those memories. These days, Norris
0: lives in Miami. She says there's no shortage of mango trees in South Florida
1: either. Every backyard, at least they have five different mango trees, and it's so nice to see that and they grow the mangoes than they grew up with because mangoes are a representation of our culture. Mango is not like a banana that is, you know, it's a comfortable fruit and everybody can afford it. It has a perfect package that you can peel it. But I don't remember anybody saying, oh, wow, I remember the bananas and I ate when I was a little. Nobody said that. And they fill your belly, and that's it. But you don't dream with bananas. You dream with mangoes. Talk with anybody, different communities, different countries. They roll their eyes up and start telling you about their grandfather, their cousins, and they just travel in time talking about mangoes. That's a fruit to dream. It's not a fruit to eat. It is just uh, an experience eating a mango. And that's what I would like to bring is this diversity. And if you come to Florida, talk to me. I give you some very nice instructions to have mango hunting. This is how excited
0: Norris is about mangoes. She'll offer total strangers, like me, grand tours on the Florida Mango Trail on a whim.
1: Just because she wants to share her love of the mango. I will be more than happy to take you around. You can come and visit the entire peninsula close to the ocean, starting from Tampa, going all the way south to the Keys and come back to the Atlantic coast to Mary Island. All this territory is mangoland, And they came here in 1700 with the pirates and they made this land home and it's so many stories, people so passionate about their fruit. They are mango collectors in every backyard here in our community. And they are always in meetings, beautiful meetings, sharing their fruit, their ditches. You know, you can make chutneys, you can make salsas. Everybody has their own version, how to cook with the fruit, how to use it. It is just an experience to visit us during mango season. Norris says these mango trees all over South Florida, they're all different varieties. I can tell who lives in that house based on the kind of mangoes they have. And say, oh, these are from the Caribbean. And I'm brave enough, and knock the door, and I start talking about mangoes with my neighbors. And yes, they are from the Caribbean. (laughs) I was sure about it, and they are. It's based in what they have in the backyard
0: the plenty of mangoes Norris is describing in Florida, those are primarily for personal consumption. 99% of mangoes sold in stores in the U.S. come from abroad, mostly Mexico. Some also come from South and Central America, even India. And these mangoes, they're
1: not exactly fresh from the tree. Any mango that arrives to the U.S., they have to go through hot water treatment in order to kill the disease that is in the seed. And we don't take it here and probably contaminate our agriculture. You can also irradiate the mangoes. That's the way that we introduce mangoes from India. They get irradiated here in the U.S.
0: Part of Norris's mission as a horticulturalist is to help farmers figure out a profitable, sustainable way to grow mangoes in the U.S. That involves
1: creating new varieties of mangoes that work here. So for twenty years, I've been traveling to Borneo, Malaysia, Indonesia, and those different islands, where all the remain of the mangifera species, the grandpa of the mango, is still standing. Without them, we don't have those basic lines of resistant to diseases be able to grow in salty conditions, in swamps, in higher altitudes. So all that information is there. And many of those species are in danger. So the best way to do it when I was working was to try to rescue some of those genes, basically introducing some of that material to our land in America, grow them in a way that they can survive in our soils. That means doing graftings, using different species that they can adjust to our soils here. So it was practically 10 years learning what are the right combinations to make them to survive in our conditions. Finally, they did it. They passed the first winter, which was the other challenge. They are coming from the real tropics and coming here during the winter, even in South Florida. It's very cold for them. So many of them, they didn't make it. And the survivors, they made it after many tries and failures. So we start working with those and we put them together with the mango that you and me are familiar with. All these mangoes that you can get in the store, or some of the mangoes that are growing in the Philippines, in Mexico, in India, Africa, everywhere. And we made some combinations. I was trying just to be the cupid of the mangoes and put them together. The mangoes
0: that she's matchmaking need not just work in the soils here, but to also handle constantly emerging problems. That applies in the U.S.
1: as well as the other major mango growing regions. Today, is just problems everywhere you go in terms of growing food. You have to face environmental issues, contamination, the deterioration of soils and water, and too many chemicals, too many inputs, too many technicians with different views that confuse the farmers. They don't know what to do, and they are in this race to make profits. And no matter what they do, they are still in debt. So my goal is to try to help them in a different perspective. And is long-term, is using genes that are more productive. For example, one
0: specific issue she's breeding for is the ability to avoid disease without having to use
1: chemicals. So that's one of my goals. The other one is mangoes that are more tropicals, then they don't need bloom induction. What is happening in the majority of the countries that are producing mangoes for the U.S. customers are mangoes were selected in South Florida, are mangoes that are tropicals. Florida used to produce more mangoes. Like Nora said,
0: most of the mangoes now grown abroad and imported to the U.S. were actually developed here. But U.S. growers couldn't compete with cheaper imports. Then Hurricane Andrew in the early 1990s destroyed a bunch of orchards. And the industry never recovered. The problem is, mangoes developed in Florida aren't quite right for some hotter climates where they grow now, particularly in
1: our warming climate. They don't have the shock of the weather in order to bloom not naturally. They have to do it with chemicals and are heavy chemicals that are probably dangerous for you. Because it's too cold here? Is that why? Yeah, mangoes need this shock of cold in order to bloom, especially the mangoes that have been developed here in South Florida, which is the majority of the mangoes that, that we import to the market in the U.S. Tommy Atkins, which are the red ones, Keith. It's also a selection from South Florida. And we have also the Ataulfo, which is the yellow one. This is from Mexico, initially from the Philippines, and this is the only one that is more tropical in reality. But the majority of the mangoes that are coming to the U.S. are coming from Mexico, and Tommy Atkins is the number one. So to avoid this problem and try to get some mangoes that are more appealing for the farmers, to sell to the biggest customer, which is the U.S., it has to be a mango that is more tropical. I've been working with the Peruvian farmers for about 20 years, and they produce Kent. Kent is the same story. It's a mango that needs these cold weeks in order to bloom. And with the global warming, they have been facing problems every year. And the mangoes, they don't bloom naturally like before. They grow mangoes in the desert, in Pura, in Peru, in the Pacific coast. And they are facing a lot of problems because they don't bloom. So they are bringing a lot of consultants, experts in bloom induction. Then some of them, they said, no, it's better than you do this, you do this. And they are spending more and more money in order to produce their crops. But the reality, that's not a solution. The solution are tropical mangoes. They have to be more tropical. And what better than the ancestors of the mango than that are coming from the real tropic areas. And the third objective for me is to create a mango that is purple skin. I had heard
0: Norris talk about this in past interviews in articles, this dogged pursuit of a mango with purple skin. Why purple?
1: Purple skin, it is a plus in different ways. For the customer and for the producer, for the farmer. The losses of yellow skin mangoes are about 60% because they get rejected for the imperfections that they can get, for the scarves from the harvest, or they get uh, some stain when they are harvesting the fruit for the latex and drops in the fruit. Any kind of imperfection of the fruit it shows in yellow skin mango. When you have a dark-skinned mango like purple or red, even red, you camouflage those a little imperfections and they don't get rejected in the market. It is insane to see the losses of fruit just in the packing house. If the consumer realizes that, they will be more appealing to accept a little scarves in the fruit because the losses are huge. The other important thing for me about purple color is because it's a color that doesn't need any marketing. We are making our carrots purple. Tomatoes, we are making them purple because it's something that the consumer have in their mind that is good for your health, that is antioxidant, that it make you younger, that is good for to prevent cancer. So it is a win-win situation if we can create a purple mango. Right? Basically, just
0: hiding or encouraging people to buy a beautiful fruit or not waste what has been bruised because they want something that looks
1: pretty. Yeah, I remember growing in Colombia, having a banana with all the the spots on it. It was better. (laughs) It was delicious for us. But here they are rejected. What's your favorite way to eat mango today? Oh my God. You know, it's a difficult answer because it depends on my mood, I will say. There are some mangoes and I like to eat them like the Egyptian way. They make a mango smoothie in a cup. When you go to Egypt, they have this mango that they call it sebda. It is green skin and they have no fiber orange, very orange flesh and you just match them with your fingers make a little bite in the peak of the mango and they just squeeze it in a cup and you just drink it. So I like that way but without the cup I just drink it in the field when I'm working and I get messy because that's the best way to eat a mango is just to get messy and forget about to be sophisticated and all that. That sounds perfect. It's good to feel like a lady and sophisticated lady and you want to be treated well. So working with chefs, I try to learn uh, different ways to eat and present a mango in a different scenery, to have a wonderful china to serve it. And there are some mangoes like ones from the Caribbean. They are easy to clean. So you basically take the knife, cut it across, like in the middle, twist it, and you have two cups with a hole in the middle. You can put that in a very nice tray, fill the hole that used to be the seed with berries, whipping cream, just eat it with a spoon. So that's another very simple way to eat a mango that is different and more sophisticated. They are mangoes that you can eat with a spoon so easily because they have no fiber at all and the juices just melt in your mouth, like Angie. That's one of the most sophisticated mangoes I can recommend to eat. So here in the US, we can really only
0: get the Tommy Atkins and the Alfonso. So why is that? Why can't we get all these amazing mangoes that you're talking about? Why is it so limited in the U.S.?
1: Quantity. We are talking about big corporations. And in order to be able to make profits, you have to have the volume. You have to have a lot of fruit in the right time to cover all the windows. That means that you can provide fruit from January to December. So if you don't have that quantity, it is very difficult to promote it to chip it, everything. Do you think we'll ever have more varieties available in the U.S.? They are already. They are already in a small amount, but I've seen the changes in the past 10 years. We have different diversity. They are coming now palmers from Brazil, which is a very good food. still selected in South Florida. We have nandak Mai that is coming from Central America and also Puerto Rico. We have some of the Indian mangoes locally grown in the Dominican Republic. Very delicious, good mangoes. We have quesar, Alfonso's, Bingolos that are coming from the Dominican Republic. We have the Haitian mangoes that are delicious as well, like Madame Francis and Baptiste. They are available now in the U.S. We have the Caribbean with wonderful mangoes coming to the U.S. The market is changing. You will see more diversity very soon. So I have a very personal question to ask. I love mangoes,
0: even the Tommy Atkins, which I realize is not the pinnacle, but it's the mango that I can eat. I love all fruit, but really mango is my favorite. And I've always eaten a lot of it. And about 10 years ago, I got a really good box of mangoes and I ate them all probably in a very unladylike way, I'm sure, like you're talking. I think I ate eight or nine or ten in one day. And then the next day, I got a rash on my face and it went away. And then I went back to eating mangoes. And now every time I eat mangoes, I get a rash or my stomach gets a little upset. Is there any hope for me to find a mango that
1: I can still enjoy Well, it's unfortunately, and it's a reality that many people have suffering for allergies. And a mango is one of them. And it's related with a compound that the mango has, and it's called mangifera, actually. And it's more present in the skin than in the flesh. So
0: it's the peel of the fruit that contain the allergen. And it's the same stuff that's
1: in poison ivy because these plants are actually related so my recommendation to you there are some different levels of allergies with mangoes and my experience is if it's not that severe it's you had so many mangoes in one day <laughs> i did i did it was a little it was a little much obviously we need more consumers like you and let me tell you it is hope for you because i know i had volunteers during my career in the beginning they didn't have allergies for mangoes and eating so many mangoes during the season, they start getting these reactions. So they start using gloves to peel the fruit. That's something that you can do. Don't rub your eyes when you are touching the fruit and eat it with a fork and just put it in your mouth and the flesh and I'm sure you will be fine. And suddenly you can gain strength and be able to eat mangoes like before, this is great to hear because a life without mangoes just seems a little gray. I love them so much. How not to love mangoes? Mangoes gave me everything that I am today. Just a little Latin girl with a funny accent coming to the U.S. and living the American dream and be able to, and through mangoes, I met wonderful people everywhere. I have a, a mango family everywhere I go, how not to love mangoes. It is impossible to me. If I want to go to India, I have an Indian family that opened their house for me because of mangoes, anywhere. I have a friend that wants to travel and he called me, he's on vacation with his family. Norice, I'm here in Thailand. Do you know anybody that grows mangoes so I can go and and he's on vacation? and it's just a different community. Our mango community is very special. It is a family.
0: That's wonderful.
1: We are happy to have you as part of our family. You consume so many mangoes and just use your gloves and use a fork to eat them. And I'll just have my allergic reaction and deal with it. It's worth it.
0: Some love is worth whatever it takes. Thank you to our guest today, Norice Ladisma. You can subscribe to Fruit Love Letters anywhere you get your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with more Love Letters to Fruit. Fruit Love Letters is part of Whetstone Radio Collective. Thank you to the Fruit Love Letters team, producer, Irina Zhorev, audio editor, Bethany Sands, researcher, Carolyn Crosby, and intern, Indigo Clarkson. I'd also like to thank Whetstone founder Steven Satterfeld, Whetstone Radio Collective executive producer Celine Glazier, sound engineer Max Kotelchek, associate producer Quentin LeBeau, and sound intern Simon Lavender. I'm Jessamine Starr. Thanks for listening to Fruit Love Letters. You can learn more about this podcast at whetstoneradio.com, at Instagram and Twitter, at Whetstone Radio, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Whetstone Radio Collective, for more podcast video content. You can learn more about all things happening at Whetstone at whetstonemedia.com.